If you're hearing this, we thank you for pressing play on another edition of It's a Stream of Life podcast with Brandon and Lauren, chronicling life in a peak entertainment era. If you're hearing this, we thank you for pressing play on another edition of It's a Stream of Life podcast with Brandon and Lauren. And we're going to start our week with this question. Um, as you all know, Avatar Way of the Water has arrived. It's taking the theater by storm, or so we think it will. And the big question is, is James Cameron getting a pass because the movie looks good? I, obviously, I've not seen this one, but I, I kind of think he is. I, I mean, from the premise, it doesn't seem interesting at all, but it seems like it gets hyped up because of how much money goes into it, how much art and special effects there are and i don't know i i do i, I do think that he kind of gets a pass so the initial avatar was interesting and that, that was like you know that's 2009 so that was like uh that was groundbreaking at that point but now it's kind of like yeah yeah it's given his namesake which he is you know sort of like a blockbuster filmmaker he did terminator he did alien he did titanic you know he has a pretty uh rock hard resume so to speak um and then avatar came out in 2009 as you said and it was a visual uh innovation visually um but story-wise it was it was i never saw but hearsay was deep trenchly entrenched in the sort of like white savior complex um and the reviews i've read listened to specifically from african-american and people of color the story has continued in that same vein so yes it may look great but even then people are saying it looks like video game cutscenes. like of course yeah. the graphics have updated today but I mean, everything today looks better, so. And I'm just kind of in the camp of, it's been, uh, you know, a a decade and some change, like 13 years. Who's asking for this? Exactly. And there there was this big question about, does Avatar hold like a cultural significance other than its technological advancements? And people try to say, oh, there's that Avatar sketch on SNL years later. Okay. No. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's not. Like I said, when it came out, it was amazing. It was groundbreaking, but we've seen better since then. So, And to have three more sequels set up. Yeah. Are there. they going to take 12 years too? Like, I don't know, but it just seems very interesting that all this hype for this film that, again, is steeped in these racist undertones and it's getting championed and sort of championed over voices of indigenous communities that can see how problematic it is just because it makes a lot of money. It's very interesting that Hollywood has come to this 
altar of Cameron on this premise, especially in 2022. It, it's odd. Right. So yeah, I won't be seeing it. I never saw the first one. I'm not seeing this one. And I'm not going to be seeing like the three others. I saw the first one. I didn't see it in the theaters. I waited until it came out. And it was interesting and kind of a cool story, but it was also way too long. I think it was almost like three hours. I was like, Jesus. But, yes, uh, this one is three hours and 10 minutes. Yeah, it's, it's too much. Yeah, I just... he Yes, he did Titanic. Yes, he did Terminator. But this storyline in particular, it's not that great. It's a bunch of white hype, and I need people to calm down. Right, right. And with that, we're going to go right into our headlines. All right, so this week has been a lot of news from the... Daystar Peterson trial, aka Tory Lanes, which we won't get into too much. Some other things as well. So we're gonna try to stay on the up and up, some of the positive things somewhat. Right, right. Um one of the first things that happened, I totally forgot that this was going to be announced. Um, but Janet Jackson announced a new tour for next year. Um yeah, and it's been on sale last week as well. Um, it's her together again tour, and she's promising new music as well. So we'll get an album. Um, the oddest thing about this was her co-headliner is Ludacris. Yeah, I that's kind of like huh, <laughs> <laughs> like I don't remember them even having a song together to do that. I don't think um, they did. Maybe it's just one of those things like when you hear them together, it will make sense. Like. I, I mean, I, I, he's he's a renowned rapper. Like he has hits for days. It's just never crossed my mind. Yeah, they would be touring together. But um, yeah, yeah. Her dates start, I think, in January next year, sometime. Mm-hmm. So get your ticket. She will be in Noblesville in May. Oh wow, that's so, gonna sell out. Yeah, yeah, that should be interesting. Um, and then some not so good news, more carnage over at Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, so the CEO, David Zaslav, um, continues to sort of rebrand and reconfigure that entire conglomerate as he's cutting costs and whatnot. And this time it focused on sort of the DC film universe. Um, earlier this year was announced that James Gunn, excuse me. And some other guy, I can't forget, remember his name, will become sort of like the leaders of the DCU. Sort of like Marvel has Kevin Feige, James Gunn, this other guy will be the producers of this um, film, saga, whatever. And they're doing like a quiet reboot of the DCEU. So um, it was announced that the Wonder Woman movie is not happening now. Uh, we more likely will not be getting Black Adam two. Um, Aquaman two will come out, but Jason Momoa probably will not be returning to that character. Um, but the biggest news this week was that after the cameo in the first Black Adam and leaving The Witcher at Netflix to return to DCU, Henry Cavill will not be reprising his role as Superman. 
for a new Superman right. film that Gunn is writing. And yeah, folks were upset. Yeah. That's a that's a lot to happen in like the span of a week. It's insane. Yeah, it, it's a lot going on. Um yeah. some folks were ready for them to reset because the DCEU was just sort of like a mess of airs at this point. Uh yeah, that's true. And others felt like they still don't know what they're doing. But in a sense, I feel like they had to sort of just go with a clean slate because it was too many pieces. They're trying to move together to make sense. Yeah. And it would have made more sense if these projects were making steady, steady uh income at the box office, but it's too much of a ebb and flow there to where it's too inconsistent. So right, right. So they said this Superman movie is supposed to look at the character at a younger age, maybe young adults have no idea who they're going to cast. Yeah. Um, we're still getting the Blue Beetle movie. Um, I guess Shazam will still come out as well, as well as the Nefarious Flash film um, starring Ezra Miller still. I I really can't believe there's a long head with that. Yeah, that seems like such a bad idea like they're definitely shooting themselves in the foot with that one mm -hmm. and allegedly there was a batman beyond movie that was supposed to be coming out with michael keaton reprising bruce wayne so that would have been interesting but that is dead as well so sure. we'll see what happens um this new dcu is supposed to connect their film tv series and animation and i think they want to try to somehow include Ryan, uh, not Ryan, include Matt Reeves' Batman in there as well, which would make sense because one of their top tier characters in this new iteration, why not use that as a jumping board? Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. All the, everything at Warner Bros. Discovery is just crazy. Along with the DCU stuff we had, shows getting canceled at HBO Max and then eventually removed from the platform. Um, we had the Westworld cancellation earlier this year. That was followed by the cancellation of The Nevers, which was right. in the middle of season one. And the second half was close to being done to premiere next year. So that's no longer happening there. Um, there's rumors that HBO Max will send these series to Fast platforms. This is a new acronym, stand for free ad supported television. So things like Freebie at Amazon, Tubi, um, what else? There's another one. Yeah, I just know Freebie and but those those platforms that are free that have ads, they're thinking they will send those shows there to where they can monetize them. They don't want them on the platform collecting dust because then they have to pay residuals, which costs them more money. So, right, right. If you want to see that eventual second half of the Nevers, they may pop up at Freebie. Um, they canceled and are pulling the comedy Minks, but they yeah. are saying that they're trying to find a new home for that second season, which was also almost done. Um, so yeah, it, it's. Uh, they better have their shit together come 2023. 
Yeah. What's nuts is that when you go in the app, you can already see the changes because a lot of the stuff from Discovery has already moved in. Yeah, it's like, it's, whoa. it's very interesting how how HBO Max was sort of like the premier streamer contending with Netflix as the new platforms, and now I don't know. There's no way they could have been shelling out that much money that they need to cancel some of their top shows. Like I'm whatever on Meeks. It had a small following and people liked it. And the Nevers was confusing, but like, uh, whatchamacallit? Westworld? Mm -hmm. You gotta be kidding me. That's insane. Yeah. And here's the kicker. They offered the producers a fifth season, but on one of the fast platforms, so the budget would be cut. See that, yeah, that's not gonna work. You can't do yeah that show with the we didn't have the last season looking like but, <laughs> something on the CW. Right, exactly. That's insane. So yeah, it's it's gonna be very interesting to see what happens there. It they were looking beginning to look like a basic bitch because yeah, the yeah. content is very mainstream, it's very tapioca. Uh um, yeah, safe. <laughs> exactly. And that's that's where they know the money is to be safe, to gain more, you know, mainstream viewers and subscribers. Right. And it's it's interesting. There's an article on The Verge this week that sort of said the golden age of the streaming awards has ended. And in the sense it has, like, early on, these streamers were where niche content sort of existed. Yeah. Where you had people of color and marginalized groups leading shows. Orange is New Black would not have happened on regular TV when it did. Um, and now everything is about the money. So everything's going to resemble everything else. So very interesting indeed. And now we're into a sort of different headline here, but there's a lot happening in the sports world. Um, we're getting, getting to the point where like all the sports are converging on each other. We had the World Series in October. We're getting ready to enter playoff season for the NFL, and we had the World Cup. So yeah, um, the World Cup came to a fantastical conclusion with between yeah. um, Argentina and France, and I'm sure you watched. Oh, <laughs> I was engaged from the opening minute. Like, uh, it, yeah, it, it, it's the type of game you want. Like, Argentina came out. They were clearly the better team, and they – put two goals in I think in the first half alone and then the second half was just kind of not I wouldn't say slow and meandering but it's like okay France has no chance and so then France put in a couple of subs and then boom uh within a minute and a half that France scored two goals in a minute and a half with like maybe 10 minutes to go and then it goes into extra time Argentina scores it keeps going France levels it up again then of course these type of games end in penalties and on penalties um Argentina was the better team, and uh, that gives Messi, Lionel Messi, the the World Cup trophy, which is literally the only trophy he hasn't won in his career. And uh, he says he's not going to retire from the national team, but I, he, it was just I, I don't know. With going into this tournament, everybody was like, "Oh, Cutter's going to be a bad place, and we shouldn't have it here." And that's still right, but out mm -hmm. of the World Cups that I can remember, this is easily the most exciting in terms of what's happened on the field. The upsets, the, the scores, it's it's been insane. And so it was a good finish. 
Right, right. Because I, I didn't watch, but I followed along as much as I could. And you had, you know, sort of everyone rooting for the underdog with Morocco as they reached the right. semifinal for the first time. And then, of course, um, France with, um, what's his name? Mbappe. Yes, he's he's a star yeah. in the making, you know. Um, and I did not know Messi did not have a World Cup. That's so interesting. Yeah. This is what's nuts is this was his they made it in 2014 to the finals. Argentina did and they got beat by Germany. And so this was their first time back in the finals. And there's just something different about this team. They just it was there. And um, yeah, they pulled it off, man. So they'll be celebrating in Buenos Aires and everywhere across Argentina for the next four years until the tournament ends up here. That's where it is. It's in the United States. It's, it's split. It's Canada, the United States, and Mexico will have the tournament. Very interesting. They're going to have to get folks educated on soccer by then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're going to have to step up the security because these crowds are huge. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully COVID, whatever, is sort of more regulated so it's not as pandemic right. I guess you'd say I don't know right right yeah because well, yeah it's um I don't know it should be interesting I'm I'm excited though it's the game is growing here and I think these tournaments help to boost it and then next year can't forget the women's world cup takes place in Australia in June hmm. I believe so it just just keeps going <laughs> okay and that's where the U.S. has a fighting chance somewhere. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. They are the winners. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, it was a good tournament. Good tournament. Right. And then here, football, American football. Yes. Um, teams were battling out for their spots in the playoffs. So you had uh, the um, Philadelphia Eagles just winning over the Bears, of mm-hmm. course to get their their spot in the playoffs um you also had dallas kansas city oh kansas city of course yes in the playoffs dallas did not make it in the playoffs americans team lost to um who was it i I don't know who they played it was a sucky team i think was the jets oh wow one second yeah no, uh, Jacksonville. Oh wow, yeah, that is. It had gone to overtime, and Dax threw a turnover, a pick six, and Jack Jaguars won. So, um, Dallas's playoff dreams are dashed. Um, Detroit is <laughs> seven and seven after starting the season. I think they were one and six. They've been six and one wow. since then. So they have a chance to playoffs. For the first time in a long time. Um, and then for anybody that watched the game yesterday and saw the Indianapolis Colts up 33 to 0, they lost and the Vikings clinched a playoff berth. So, yes. So Matt Ryan not only, not only has entered in the best comeback in Super Bowl history, he uh, has. Yeah allowed the best comeback in NFL history, period, as the Vikings came back from 33-0 and zero to win Jeez. that game. Yeah, the Colts should just be 
need to walk down Mass Ave just like yeah. was in Game of Thrones and yelled shame at because yeah. this is ridiculous. No, and uh, until they can figure out how to play like a professional football team, they should have to play at Carmel or Ben Davis and leave Lucas Oil just empty because it's ridiculous, man. It's embarrassing. And I have a feeling those teams will beat them too. <laughs> they probably would if you put them together. Yeah, it, that was pathetic. Um, So right now, it uh, looks like the Bengals are going to beat Tampa Bay 34-23 with 49 seconds left unless – you know, Tom Brady does something miraculous. Um, yeah. And they, they actually came back from a double-digit deficit in Tampa Bay, so the Bengals did. Um, yeah. So I think that would dash his playoff dreams as well, and he can finally retire. Because if I'm not mistaken, there's, what, three regular season games left? Maybe. I I don't know for sure. Let's see, the game tonight is the Giants versus the Commanders. They each have this exact same record. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think there's three, yeah, there's 18 game regular season, and this is week 15, so some right. of these teams still have a chance to get in, but yeah. Right. So let's see. Uh, Thursday night will be San Francisco. Oh, that was the 15th. One second. Tomorrow's game is Green Bay and the Los Angeles Chargers. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a very interesting season, to say the least. We got some new, sort of like a new, new elite players rising up to become sort of the faces of the the uh, the yeah. game for a new generation. Yeah. And, you know... Indianapolis and Chicago continues to struggle. So, yes, the shame of the Midwest. <laughs> exactly, it's ridiculous. They suck so much. Three hours apart, but you can't tell which one the difference between the two. Just ridiculous. Exactly, just dumb. Um, going to something totally different as we come to a close on the headlines. Um, tragedy struck last week as the news broke that um. DJ, actor, dancer, personality, Stephen Twitch Boss had died um, by suicide. Um, he was 40 years old. Many of us were introduced to him on So You Think You Can Dance when he was a contestant there. And that show sort of catapulted him to another level of fame where he became sort of the uh, accompanying DJ on Ellen's on the Ellen DeGeneres talk show for years. Um, and for there, he, you know, got into film and TV. Um, you know, he was just sort of like this burst of energy whenever you saw him. And sadly, you know, we did not know. No one knows exactly what someone right. may be going through. And he um, he is gone. You know, his family put out a statement. He left behind a wife and three children. Um, and it's, and it was a moment where the industry all collectively, you know, mourned for him because he was such a, a decent person. You know, a right. lot of times now a celebrity personality passes away, and you know, amongst people mourning them, there are those that are saying this person was that third and another. We should not be right. celebrating them, but here he was just like a pure soul. So yeah, he was kind of universally loved. Yeah, and yeah. he was. And I don't know 
how to say this, obviously there's probably a generation that's too young to watch So You Think You Can Dance, but he was incredible. He was, yeah. to, to be able to do what he did, and he was, he's a big guy, he's tall, he was muscular, he was built, but he he was, he made it look easy, and it, obviously it's not, but yeah, he was, he was a force to be reckoned with in that show, and yeah, it's very sad that he's passed away. Yeah, so, you know, condolences to his family and to all those that knew him. Um, he was just a light to everyone he knew. Yeah. So that concludes our headlines. And when we come back, we'll get into our feature presentation. All right. So as we noted a few episodes ago, it is award season. And the nomination is coming out left and right. And today's episode will be looking at the uh, Critic Choice film nominations. We look at the TV prior, as well as the Golden Globes. Yes, the HFPA is back with <laughs> the Golden Globes for this year, um, for 2023. Um, and let's just start with, you know, the Golden Globes. Growing up, you know, I just knew them as the awards that happened before the Oscars and thought they were legit. It was more of the more fun um, yeah. award show because everyone's drinking, everyone's relaxed. Right. The host is usually poking fun at those. Yeah, the Oscars, in comparison, the Oscars do seem kind of like stuffy in a way. Yes, it's the more enjoyable watch for viewers. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in recent years, it was revealed that, you know, the Golden Globe is basically a joke somewhat in the industry and that the Hollywood Foreign Press Association um, were crooks. Um, they did not have a diverse membership. They're basically bribing or paying folks for their votes and were nominating things to get the stars into seats at their show. So... After being uh, gone for a year, after NBC decided not to air them, they're back and will air on January 10th, which is a Tuesday at 8 p.m. Um, next year. And yeah, so let's get into these nominees. They do both TV and film, as we remember. Um, and this year's host is Gerard Carmichael. So that might make it more interesting as he has a reputable name coming up in the industry as a comic. Yeah. So beginning with best motion picture drama, the nominees are Avatar, The Way of Water, Elvis, The Fablemans, Tar, and Top Gun Maverick. Have you seen any of those movies? I have not. I refuse to watch Elvis. I'm sorry. I just do. I just don't care about Elvis. Um, yeah. The only as for the rest, no. I. Go ahead. Oh no! I was just gonna say, as for the rest, no. I've not seen anything. I, I think Tar is in theaters here, and Top Gun Maverick has been did tremendous at the box office. It's been a huge hit this year, so I don't right. Know, that's definitely one to watch out for. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in Tar, and I've heard great things about Top Gun. That might be something I'll watch once it gets on streaming, which it may be this week it finally arrives. I think it's on Paramount or Peacock, one of those. Paramount, I believe. Yeah, Paramount Pictures. 
Um, I've heard good things about Elvis, basically Austin Butler. He's supposed to be really good. He's gotten a lot of acting nominations. Um, the Fableman is supposed to be uh, Steven Spielberg's most personal work, as it's you know loosely based on his life. And of course, Avatar is supposed to be like the cinematic experience of the year. Yada yada. Yeah. Okay. Um, moving on to the acting categories, best performance by an actress in a motion picture. You have Kate Blanchett for Tar, Olivia Coleman for Empire of Light, Viola Davis for The Woman King, Anna de Armas for Blonde, and Michelle Williams for The Fablemans. Yeah, well, I'm going to go ahead and put a slash through Anna de Armas because that movie was trash. Yeah, I. I I like her a lot, but I don't think nothing against her. But given the yeah the ilk of that film, she she does not belong here. I'm sorry. No, and she, she no, she's an incredible actress. But yeah, that one she no the way they were hyping that up, and then I saw it, I was like, what? Like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so confusing. But um. I don't know. I think for this one, you always got to watch out for Olivia Coleman. She seems to win out yeah. of the blues sometimes. Yeah, they uh, really love her. Yeah. So, I don't know. Unfortunately, I'm not sure if Viola Davis will get this one. I think it will be between Kate Blanchett, Olivia Coleman, and Michelle Williams. Yeah. Davis does give, like, a strong performance in this, and it's something we've never seen her do before, but right, you never know. Yeah. Um, actor, we have Austin Butler for Elvis, Brendan Fraser for The Well, Hugh Jackman for The Sun, Bill Nye for Living, and Jeremy Pope for The Inspection. Um, um, I know Fraser is getting a lot of hype for The Well, um, given that this is sort of like his return to the industry role. Um, right. Is receiving a lot of praise, and low key Bill Nye is so also getting a lot of, of like under the surface praise. People will enjoy him anyway. Um, right, right. Though this movie's not getting as much, uh, presence, he could definitely sneak in and, and get it just based on who who he is. Honestly, right. Um, Jackman, I don't know. I heard a lot about the sun earlier this year, but it sort of died off. Right. Yeah, I agree. I, I for my choice, well, not my choice, but I think this one may come down to Austin Butler. As much as I despise hearing anything about Elvis, people loved this movie and loved his depiction of him. And like you just said about Brendan Fraser, this is kind of his comeback. So that may be on type of a on kind of like a a sympathy type thing and maybe give it to him. Not that he, you know, probably hasn't acted well in this film, but right. Yeah. It may just be that type of thing that happens. Yeah. Also it's, it's fair to mention that Frazier will not be attending the globes as you know, his past accusations of sexual assault against the then president of the HFPA. Right. So he said he's not a hypocrite and I agree. Like, why would you attend? Right. Exactly. An event that you know where you were assaulted so totally agree and i could see them being sort of peachy and saying you know we've changed and give the statue to jeremy pope just because yeah yeah you know black so 
All right, now musical or comedy for best picture. We have Babylon, which I guess people are liking. I mm. I didn't know it was a comedy or a musical. I know what it was. I don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Banshees of Inishirin, which is getting a lot of hype, and that's currently on HBO Max, so I might yes, check it out. Is. I've heard great things about Colin Farrell and Brandon Gleason in it. Um, as well as what's that guy's name? Barry Keogan. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's maybe pronounced Keegan, Barry Keegan. But yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Um, everything everywhere all at once. That would be my pick, honestly. I mean film yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely got a lot of love. Um I don't know. Yeah, we'll see how that one plays out. Mm -hmm. We've got Glass Onion, A Nice Out Mystery, which I've heard good things as well. And I believe that rise on Netflix this week, too. I forget the specific date. Um, that's coming soon. And then Triangle of Sadness. I heard a lot about this film earlier. This, I think it was a Sundance. Was it that Sundance? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's been on the, the film festival kind of circuit. That's one reason I've heard of it, so. Yeah, and sadly, I believe the lead actress in that passed away after the film came out, tragically, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I could be extremely wrong, but we'll see. Hmm. We'll strike that from the record if I'm incorrect, but yeah. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, she did. She okay. did, she had... Uh... If I'm not mistaken, I remember that. I think she had been, oh, I don't want to say COVID, but I remember that because she's she's young. She was only 29. Or wait, hold on. Yeah, she was like 30, and yeah, I think she had gotten sick. Okay. I remember that. I thought I had, had that correct. So, yeah, there could be, you know, some momentum for that film. Yeah. Um, Best performance by actress in a musical comedy. We have Leslie Mangville for Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Um. Okay. Um. Yeah. Margaret Robbie <laughs> for Babylon. Anya Taylor Joy for The Menu. Yeah. Is that more like a thriller? Is that a comedy? I don't know. It dark comedy. The way it's kind of. I thought it was more of just like a a drama. I don't know. I didn't think it was a musical or comedy. That's, this is just a very, they're casting a very wide net. Yeah, they are. Um, Emma Thompson for Good Luck to You, Leo Grande, and then Michelle Yell for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, I could see it going to Michelle, but Emma could definitely, is I think her strongest competition because people loved her in that role. Yeah, she was incredible in that movie. She kind of, I don't know how she outdid herself when she's already so good, but it, it was really good. And then uh, Best Performance by an Actor in Musical or Comedy, Diego Calva for Babylon, Daniel Craig for Glass Onion, Adam Driver for White Noise, and I've seen this promoted a lot. Um, I have no idea what this movie's about. Mm. Um, something about a family, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah, you got me. I, I'm in the same boat. <laughs> uh, Colin Farrell for The Banshees of Inishirin, and then Ralph Fiennes again for The Menu. So, 
um, animated picture, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which I've heard is the superior Pinocchio film that's come out this year. Uh, annual, I have no idea what that is. Uh, Marcel the Shell with Shoes on. It's gotten a lot of hype. Uh, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. And Turning Red, um, which a lot of people enjoyed. I still haven't seen it yet, though. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about that one. I, that may be something to give to Guillermo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people say his Pinocchio is really good. So Then we get to Best Motion Picture, Non-English Language, which was formerly called Foreign Language. Um, All Quiet on the Western Front, which I've heard great things about. Uh, Argentina, 1985. Close. Decision to Leave which was a big Sundance film as well. And then everyone has talked about, excuse me, talked about this movie, RRR. Yeah, I've seen that as well. Um, I've seen All Quiet on the Western Front and I've seen Decision to Leave. It's on movie. Oh, which it says right there. Yeah, I have movie. So it's very good. Okay. Um, and I've seen the trailer for Close. That's about a two teenage boys that kind of, I don't know, explore their feelings for one another. Kind of just like a coming of age movie that is queer. It's it's interesting, but I I'm not seeing the film, I've only seen the trailer. But mm-hmm. um yeah, I've heard a lot about RRR. Still yeah, not exactly sure what it's about. <laughs> yeah, it's like a combination of action, comedy, musical, but I've just heard that it's a great film. So I'll definitely have to check it out. Yeah. Uh, best performance by actress in supporting role, motion picture, Angela Bassett, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Carrie Condon, The Banshees of Sheeran, Jamie Lee Curtis, Everything Everything Ever All at Once, Dolly De Leon, Triangle of Sadness, and Carrie Mulligan for She Said. A lot of people have been pushing for Bassett um, in this yeah. role as Queen Ramonda. She was excellent. Like, we all know she's great, but she definitely yeah. delivered in this role. Um, and then on the same token, Jamie Lee Curtis is also without an Oscar. So I know she's been getting a push over Stephanie uh, Hugh from Everything Ever All at Once, which I don't know about that, but <laughs> she could definitely get it as well. I really haven't heard enough people talk about She Said to know anything about Carrie Mulligan's performance. Yeah, I mean, well, I've not heard anything really positive. This is the one about wine, uh, Harvey Weinstein, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it kind of, you know, quietly flopped at the box office, which I don't know what people... Right, expect. exactly. I, I don't know yeah. what people thought the movie was going to do. But, yeah, that was such a tumultuous i don't know two or three years when me two was really at its hype why would you want to run out and see a movie about that yeah i don't know best supporting performance by an actor in motion role motion picture <laughs> brendan gleason and bear keoghan for the banshees of Sheeran, brad pitt for babylon yeah. again what right um the front runner, Ki Hu Kwan, for everything ever all at once, and then Eddie Redmayne for the good nurse. This is probably just because they know who Eddie is. 
because he was right. not that groundbreaking in that movie. Like the movie was decent. Um, I think I would have joined it more if it was a '90s Lifetime movie, but yeah. <laughs> it it I mean it, it was nice, but he wasn't that great in it. He had maybe one scene where you know could have been a, a the real Anthony Ward show, but I, I didn't think it was anything that spectacular. Yeah, that brings us to best director motion picture. Uh, James Cameron, you have the Daniels for everything ever all at once, Baz Luhrmann for Elvis, Martin, McDon Martin McDonough, I hope I said that right, for Banshees of Inishirin, and Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans. I could see the Daniels or Baz Luhrmann getting it. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah, it could be that. I, I think Avatar's a little bit too soon. They always give stuff to Spielberg. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'd kind of go with Boz Lerman. Yeah, I think he may take it. Um, And then we get into screenplay and score and original song. Um, I, yeah. Yeah, I, it, I'll, I'll just kind of breeze through some of this. Uh, Women Talking, I think this is their only nomination at the Golden Globes for Best Screenplay, which is interesting. Okay. Um, Original Score, uh, Women Talking Again, Fablemans, Babylon, Guillermo de Toro's Pinocchio, Banshees of Insurin, and the original song, uh, Taylor Swift for the song for Where the Crawdags Sing. Um, Hold My Hand by Lady Gaga. Lift Me Up by Rihanna is nominated, which, okay. as simple as it was, it is, is a very beautiful song. Right, right. Um, Natu Natu is from RRR. So, again, it has that musical component. And Chow Papa from uh, Pinocchio as well. Then we into the TV. All right. Uh, for drama series, we have Better Call Saul, The Crown, House of the Dragon, Ozark, and Severance. I don't know that who is. Is. Don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that's quite a group of shows right there. You got Severance, which was good. You got The Crown, which had a new season with a new ish story people love better call Saul. Mm -hmm. um, ozark finish and then house of the dragon was kind of a banger as well yeah i don't even know who you can pick there that would be a I, i'm gonna go with better call Saul. i feel like it, it was gonna be something like that yeah since it sort of missed the this year's emmys um right. when i see the globes giving it to better call Saul. Uh, performance by actress in a television series. Emma Darcy for House of the Dragon. Laura Lenny for Ozark. Imelda Staunton for The Crown. Hilary Swank for Alaska Daily. <laughs> and Zendaya for Euphoria. This is why folks don't take the globe seriously. Because, yes, Hilary Swank is a wonderful actress. Yeah. But who is watching Alaska Daily? Yeah, I've not heard anything about it. Like out of all. all 
the performances this year on the shows this year. Alaska yeah. Daily. <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah. Um, I could see Zendaya getting it, so she got the Emmy. Um, but people love Ozark as well, so this is kind of a toss-up. I don't know. Um, then you get the best actor. We have Jeff Bridges for the old man, which people say is really good. Okay. I I want to start it. And allegedly it's only like six episodes. If I knew this in beforehand, I I would have already watched this. Like I just assume everything's like 10 episodes, and that's why I like put stuff off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh Kevin Costner for Yellowstone, Diego Luna for Andor. Bob Odenkirk for Better Call Saul and Adam Scott for Severance. I really don't know. Uh, Costner is in the show that's sort of like taking up all the space. Of yeah. Surprise. Um, I've, I've not watched five. a minute. Yeah. I'm My really parents sorry. watched like maybe a rerun here and there and I saw like a scene or two. It's, it's a soap opera. Like it gives that sort of like Dallas, uh, what were other soaps back then? It it gives that sort of like drama for twenty. Okay, okay. So yeah, I could see them giving to Bob for Better Call Saul. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I think he may be a safe bet. Mm-hmm. Uh, best comedy or musical series: Abbott Elementary, The Bear. Hacks, Only Murders in the Building, and Wednesday. Um, I have not watched Only Murders or Wednesday yet, so I feel like Wednesday is like a bit too soon to be nominated. Yeah, I agree. I see it's it's tough with these awards because I, I think Abbott Elementary is gonna win, but the bear had such a big following, and I think the cast of only murders in the building could help it but i just can't see anybody beating abbott elementary so yeah abbott is sort of like a a last ditch effort from broadcast and it's sort of like a feel good show i sort of like the comedy of the year story so i right. could definitely see it winning which is i mean it deserves it's not like it's exactly yeah yeah it's worth the win either but yeah uh, best performance by actress in a TV series, musical, or comedy: Quinta Brunson, Abbott Elementary; Kaylee Cuco, The Flight Attendant; Selena Gomez, Only Murders in the Building. Good to see her here, since the Emmys did not nominate her <laughs> this past year. Uh, Jenna Ortega, Wednesday, and Jean Smart for Hacks. Yeah, once again, I think it's going to go to Quinta Brunson. I didn't really like this season of The Flight Attendant. Yeah, it was kind of not good. I think yeah, Kate was... did a good job, but the plot was very unorganized and not in a good yeah. way. I, I feel like season one, it, I mean, the messiness was part of it, but it was definitely more focused. This season, there was like too many gaps to where we weren't focused on Kaylee's character and the other characters, other than Rosie Perez, the other stuff which just was not that interesting. Yeah, I agree. Uh, best performance by actor in television series, musical, or comedy: Donald Glover, Atlanta; uh, Bill Hader for Barry; 
both Steve Martin and Martin Short for Only Murders in the Building and Jeremy Allen White for The Bear. I yeah. I I I think it's gonna go to either Steve Martin or Martin Short. Just I don't know, the Golden Globes are are just kind of that type of show. They're big names, they've been around forever and mm -hmm. that show's got the right vibe. I think Atlanta may be as good as it is, it may not be the type of show they want to award. And I think the bear, as good as it was, was one of those shows that like, I don't know. It's there because the youth liked it. You know what I mean? It, it, I don't know. Yeah. So it's definitely more toward a younger demographic. I could yeah. Right. Uh then we get into limited series, anthology series, or motion picture made for television. We have uh Blackbird. Dahmer, Monster, The Jeffrey Dahmer Story, The Dropout, Pam and Tommy, and The White Lotus. Um, I guess people really like Pam and Tommy. I, yeah, I, not me. That was. I think I made it to like two episodes and I was like, no, nah, I'm good. Yeah, um... I could see Dahmer getting it just because of how successful it was, um, yeah. for better or worse, or they could just give it to the White Lotus because of the other the win at the Emmys. Yeah, I feel like they should give it to the White Lotus. <laughs> uh, best performance by an actress, uh, same category: Jessica Chastain, George and Tammy. Julia Garner, Inventing Anna, Lily James, Pam and Tommy, Julia Roberts, Gaslit, Amanda Seyfried, The Dropout. Uh, I did not watch any of these, so... I watched all of them besides Gaslit. I think you could give it to Amanda Seyfried. She did really, really well in that. She was very convincing. She didn't obviously look like her, but her mannerisms and just her performance was good. But I could also see maybe them handing it to Jessica Chastain. So I don't know. That'd be interesting. Yeah, they kind of love Jessica Chastain in <laughs> yeah, they do. everything. Like, yeah. if she's in it, she gets nominated. <laughs> so. Right, pretty much. Uh, best actor, same category. Taryn Egerton for Black Bird. Colin Firth for The Staircase, which I still have not finished. <laughs> I just haven't gone back to it. Um, right, right. Andrew Garfield for Under the Banner of Heaven. Evan Peters for Dahmer, and then Sebastian Stan for Pam and Tommy. Um, I think it's between. I think Evan will win. And Andrew and Colin would be his best contention. Okay. But, like, again, Dahmer is such a big name, and Evan is sort of, I mean, he's trying to break out from the prison that Ryan Murphy has him in, but he wound up right back there. Right. Um, right. And while I don't think he deserved last year's Emmy, um, you know, that sort of bumps his pedigree so uh, then supporting roles for actress Jennifer Coolidge The White Lotus, Claire Danes Flesh and in Trouble I haven't heard anyone talk about this show yeah I keep seeing ads for it and just kind of keep 
pushing it off. Uh, yeah, I, I want Jennifer Coolidge to take it. Or actually, no, Aubrey Plaza. I think she was a driving force of the show. Jennifer Coolidge was obviously good, but, but mm -hmm. yeah, Aubrey Plaza was. Yeah, I enjoy Aubrey Plaza too. And we have Daisy, Daisy Edgar Jones, who might steal it because yeah. she was great in that Under the Banner of Heaven. And then Nisi Nash, who they love as well for Dahmer. It, it's a toss. I believe I read if Nisi Nash wins, she'll be the first black woman to win this award. Wow. Like this category. So, um, low key, though, I think Megan Fahey deserves this more than Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, I do too. She was incredible. Because that one scene in the finale with Ethan, like, yeah. Yeah, that, that was, we'll talk about that later, but yes. And then Best Performance Supporting Actor. These are kind of random. Um, F. Murray Abraham for The White Lotus. I mean, he was funny. But... Yeah. Uh, Domino Gleason for The Patient. I could see him getting that. Paul Walter Hauser for Blackbird. Richard Jenkins for Dahmer. And Seth Rogen for Pam and Tommy. I don't know. Yeah, that's a toss-up. And then actress supporting some category, Elizabeth Debicki for The Crown. Hannah Eidenberg. Eiden, wait, what? Wait, what did we... I, hold on. So we went from limited series to best performance by actress in musical or comedy or drama television series that quickly? Yeah, I guess so. Oh, I guess they don't have best performance supporting for TV separately. It's just all oh yeah, okay together. It's just best yeah best supporting actress in a TV comedy or drama series. So Elizabeth Debicki, The Crown, Hannah Einbinder. I'm saying her name wrong. Hannah Einbinder for Hacks. <laughs> <laughs> Julia Garner for Ozark. Janelle James and Cheryl Lee Ralph for Abbott Elementary. It's going to be either Cheryl or Janelle. Yeah, it's going to be a toss-up. It'll be a good one to see. Yeah. And then same category for actors. John Lithgow for The Old Man. Jonathan Price for The Crown. Sean Tutoro, all these Johns, for Severance. Uh, Tyler James Williams for Abbott. And then Henry Winkler for Barry. It would be nice to see Tyler James Williams win. That'd be... Yeah, because he's great on the show. and Yeah, he really is. He's had such an interesting career um, from child actors to sort of like this new new lease on his career as an right. adult. Alright, those are the Golden Globes and again, they premiere Tuesday, January 10th at 8pm on NBC. And now the Critics' Choice Awards, the film nominations... We did discuss the TV nomination on here, didn't we? Yeah, I think so. And if not, you can look up yourself. Um, <laughs> the Critic Choice Awards will air Sunday, January 15th on The CW. And normally Tay Diggs was the host, but now it's Chelsea Handler. Hmm. Which is a big change. Right. Um, just some background. Everything Ever All At Once leads all nominations with 14, which is incredible. 
Um, yes. That's followed by the Fablemans that has 11. Babylon has 10. And then the Banshees of Inishirin has 9. So these are more aligned with, of course, what critics think. So not as much as popular films, but more popular films in the critic circles. Right, right. Um, so let's start at the bottom and go to the top so we can get the stuff we don't really care about out the way. Um, best score. We have, I'm not pronounce all these people's names, but we have the Batman, Babylon, the Fablemans, Guillermo's Pinocchio, Tar, and Women Talking. Um, I, I, the Batman score was amazing by Michael uh, G- Giacchino. Yeah. Um, I can't speak on the other ones, but um, I don't know. I think for this one, I think it may go to I can never say her last name, but Hildur. She, I think it would go for Tar. Tar is a movie about music, so it seems oh, yeah. like something they would give it to. But um, I just realized she's nominated twice for Women Talking as well. Yeah. Yeah, and she also won the Oscar last year, I believe. So last year, or the year before, I don't know. I think she it was last first. year. Yeah. And what movie was Her that? For uh, Joker. Uh, it must have been. Oh, she also did the music for that... Noble. Wow, she's good. Yeah, she's. And what's great is that, like, her name is so unique that you just know who she is. But yeah, it says Hildur won the Academy Award for Best Original Score, BAFTA Award for Best Original Music, and Golden Globe Award for Best Original Score for The Joker. Okay. So she she's essentially the front runner. I mean, John Williams is there too, but... But yeah, yeah. But she also did the music for Chernobyl. (laughs) Yes, which is crazy. Uh, yeah. Best song, again, sort of like the same exact lineup from the Golden Globes, except New Body Roomba from White Noise is there. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Best Foreign Language Film, uh, exact same lineup um, with the addition of Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths. So, we've seen a lot of the same names pop up, which I guess is a good thing. Right. Um, best Animated Feature, um, same list with the addition of Window and Wild was on Netflix. I got through like a fourth of that. I need to go back and finish it because like I fell asleep. <laughs> the interesting concept. It wasn't boring or anything, but I just was yeah. tired. Um, best comedy: The Banshees of Inisherin, Bros, Everything Ever All at oh, Once, Jesus, <laughs> Glass Onion, Triangle of Sadness, and The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. I mean, I pray they don't give it to bros. I, I hope the Banshees of Inishir and give it or everything all at once. One of those two. Yeah. I don't know why bros is there. Yeah. It's just because it came out in theaters, maybe. I don't know. I guess so. The way they champion bros and just kind of <clears throat> our island to the side is very yeah. well. Uh, best visual effects. We have Avatar, The Way of Water, The Batman, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Everything Ever All at Once, RRR, and then Top Gun Maverick. I mean... Now that 
that that's a pretty stacked cast. Without having seen Avatar, you know what that looks like, and you know how crazy that is. Yeah. So, I don't know. That should be interesting. That's a that's actually a good lineup right there. Mm-hmm. Very good. I've got Best Hair and Makeup, Babylon, The Batman, uh, Wakanda Forever, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and The Whale. I could definitely see it going to, well, I mean, the Batman makeup. Oh, of course. What's his face? Colin Farrell. Brendan. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, that's why it's nominated because Colin Farrell is recognizable as the penguin. Um but yes, the whale is there for Brendan Fraser. Uh, but the hair and makeup and everything overall at once was also insane. Um yeah, that could those are some good contenders. Then we have best costume design, um, Babylon, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Elvis. Everything Everywhere, Glass Onion, and The Woman King. Okay. So I know Wakanda Forever, I think, took it. I think Black Panther took it back in 2018, whenever. So we could see a continuation yeah. at for Ruthie Carter. Um, should be interesting. Uh, best editing. I This just means like editing of the film, correct? Yeah, I believe so. Just kind of like cuts and how the film runs together yeah okay so avatar babylon elvis everything everywhere tar and taka maverick um i think for something like that you kind of have to get it to everything all at once i would it's not like a hectic film but there's got a there's a lot going on so like that or like top gun i, I would say would yeah. probably have to be in the lead yeah because just some of the the um I don't know what to call it, just different dynamics and everything ever all at once had to take right. some pure editing. Right. A production design, Avatar, Babylon, Wakanda Forever, Elvis, Everywhere, The Fablemans. Um, I don't know. I mean, Hannah Belcher took yeah. the Oscar. Yeah. Back in 2018, so she could be a front runner. Um, again, everything ever all at once. You had rocks talking to each other, like and fingers that bled ketchup and mustard. Like it's just right. Uh, best cinematography. Who do we think out of this group? Top Gun, of course, should be you know a highlight. Yeah. Um, I guess Empire of Light is about the movies, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know, you got me there. Let me see. A movie with Olivia Coleman. I think it's about movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know you're talking about, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um... Yeah, we'll see. There's Avatar as well. But I heard during a review, um, folks were talking about how Avatar would go, like it would change um what's that called? FPS like film. What's it what's that? The speed of film like the, or rate? Yeah, like the yeah, I know you're talking about. Yeah, it, it would go from like 60 to like 
like the 3D rendering and then back to the film. So it was kind of like jarring, they said. Uh, which, I mean, I wouldn't, I guess you have to see it to, to know exactly, but I did hear right. that. Okay, get to some of the other stuff here. <laughs> uh, best adapted screenplay. We have Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. I didn't know this was an original. What's yeah? Is it based yeah. on like a short story or maybe maybe novels or something? Yeah, I'm not sure of the original source. Yeah, I had no idea. Uh, Ryan Johnson, uh, Kazo Ishiguru for Living. Rebecca Lin. I'm guessing it's Link. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> for she said. It is right. Uh, Samuel D. Hunter, The Well, and then Sarah Pauly for Women Talking. Of course, she said it's based on the book that was done. I believe The Well is a short story as well. Um, I think Women Talking is a book as well. I did not know Glass Onion was an adaptive screenplay. I was yeah. surprised there. Uh, best original screenplay, we have Charlotte Wells for After Sun, uh, Martin Mendonca, McDon, I'm not saying that right. I know I'm not. My yeah. apologies to Martin. Uh, the Banshees and Sharon, uh, the Daniels for Everything Ever All at Once, Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner for The Fablemans, and then Todd Field for Tar. I would have to say the Daniels and Todd Field. Um, for me. Yeah, yeah, out of that group, well, that's probably what I'd go with as who I'd want to win. I'm not sure who will win though. I just feel like feel like the Fablemans is gonna be maybe like a favorite or something because it's Spielberg. So, mm -hmm. and speaking of Spielberg, we come to Best Director, where he's there for the Fablemans. We have SS Rajamuli for RRR. Gina Prince-Bythewood for The Woman King, Sarah Poli for Women Talking, Martin McDonald for The Banshees of Inishirin, The Daniels for Everything Ever All at Once, Baz Luhrmann for Elvis, Todd Field for Tar, Damon Chazelle for Babylon, and James Cameron, Avatar, The Way of Water. That's a long list. That's a huge list. It's almost too many people to really make it like a, a decision. Yeah. Yeah, this feels more like a here's who in contention, not necessarily the nomination. Right, okay. right. I don't know. For I, me, I think I, I feel like maybe Baz Luhrmann will take it. Yeah. I would love to see the Daniels get this. Um, yeah. But yeah, we'll have to just see. As long as it's not, <laughs> just as long as it's not James Cameron. Yeah. Because really, what direction are you doing if everything is... Yeah, what? computer. and Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Best Acting Ensemble. The Banshees and the Sheeran, Everything Ever All at Once, The Fablemans, Glass Onion, The Woman King, and Women Talking. That's hmm. a interesting category in the first place. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think it's sort of similar to like the SAGs cast nomination or whatever. I think it's kind of like 
awarding the actors that may not get the best picture nom in a way. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, best young actor actress. We have Frankie Corio for After Sun, Jalen Hall for Teal. And I'm really happy to see Jalen here. If you don't know, for those that are out there that don't know or don't watch, he started on All American, or that's where I saw him first on All American on the CW. And now, like, yeah. he's in this movie. It's been announced that he'll play young um, Martin Luther King in the next season of Genius, which is about oh, King wow. and Malcolm X. Yeah. So, like, the roles are opening up. And I'm still. I still believe he's supposed to star in a show, um, some basketball show on Disney Plus. Okay. But yeah, he's he's coming up, so I I would love to see him get this. I still need to see Teal, of course, but yeah. Uh, Gabriel LaBelle for The Fablemans, Bella Ramsey for Catherine Called Birdie, and we all know her from Games of Thrones and the upcoming Last of Us adaptation. Uh, Banks Rip. Repita for Armageddon, Armageddon Time and Sadie Sink for The Well. Um, she's getting a lot of push for this film as well. Yeah. yeah. She's given, the only name I re really recognize. So, Yeah, given her her um, performance in this year's Stranger Things, like she's sort of like having a, a breakout year. So, uh, Best Supporting Actress, we have Angela Bassett for one uh, Wakanda Forever, Jessica Buckley for Women Talking, Carrie Condon for The Banshees and the Sheeran, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Stephanie Hsu for Everything Ever All at Once, and then Janelle Monet, who people are saying is a breakout for Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. That's good. This is a very good, um, very good category here. Yeah. I would, I would love to see Angela get it. If not Angela, I'd have to say Stephanie, since that's the other role I've seen. Because she was excellent at me. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. I'd be nice to see Angela Bassett get it. Mm -hmm. Best supporting actor, Paul Dano for The Fablemans, Brendan Gleeson for The Banshees and the Sheeran, uh, Judd Hirsch for The Fablemans, then Barry Keegan for Benish The Banshees and the Sheeran, Kihu Kwan for Everything Ever All at Once and Brian Tyree Henry for Causeway. Um, of course, uh, Kihu Kwan has been sort of like the year's success story. Um, yeah. He sort of won it in these other critic circles. So he's definitely the front runner for this award at this point. Yeah, uh, I'd like to see Brian Tyree Henry win just because i would like to see him get more praise in general he, he's an incredible actor yeah he really is like he whenever he's in something he stands out he should have always been getting the acting nominations for atlanta donald you're a great creative but <laughs> brian's right. a better actor period um so yeah i i would i need I, is that out yet on apple tv uh, I think so, yeah. Because I want to check it out. I haven't heard much about it. And clearly, you know, Jennifer Lawrence is nominated. So Brian must be the standout in that film. So. Right. 
Uh, that brings us to Best Actress, Kate Blanchett for Tar, Viola Davis for The Woman King, Daniel Deadweiler for Till, Margaret Robbie for, or Margot Robbie for Babylon, Michelle Williams for The Fablemans, and Michelle Yao for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, Danielle did not get the Golden Globe nomination, but she's here for Till, and she's definitely a front runner. A lot of people have said her performance is, is amazing. That's good. So yeah, I think it's between her, Kate, and Michelle Yao. Best Actor, Austin Butler for Elvis, Tom Cruise for Top Gun Maverick, Colin Farrell, The Banshees and the Sharon, Brendan Fraser, The Well, Paul Mescal, After Sun, and Bill Nye, Living. So Tom Cruise got the much-talked-about nomination for Best Actor. Um, a lot of people are saying he may get, may get the Oscar nomination as well, or at least he deserves, so... Like when I heard Top Gun was coming out, I was not thinking it's going to be a banger. I thought it would get a lot of people going because it's a blockbuster type of movie. But you know, there there have been talks about like, oh, this is the action movie we've been missing. This has everything. I'm like Top Gun, like really? But right, they said it's better than the original, which is what you really want to do whenever you have a scene. Right, yeah. Um, and I mean, it's been what twenty something years, or I forgot how long ago that movie came out. Yeah, and people have gone back and watched the original, saying, "Yeah, this movie was not good." And I mean, the premise <laughs> is not; <laughs> the premise is definitely very much eighties. So, right, right, yeah. And that brings us to the last category for best picture. We have Avatar: The Way of Water, Babylon, The Banshees and the Sheeran, Elvis. Everything Ever All at Once, The Fablemans, Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, RRR, Tar, Taka Maverick, and Women Talking. So, 11 nominations. Too many. Picture. Too many. Yeah, definitely too um, many. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I just feel like this is going to be a year for big movies. I, I I'm going so I'm going to put my money on Elvis and Top Gun. Yeah, it's that's a very eclectic listing. Um, yeah, I'm still going with everything ever all at once. It's sort of like the little movie that could, in a sense. Um, yeah, that's where I'm leaning, but you never know. Yeah. These other movies have, you know, sort of like established names and actors and um, just carry more weight just with that. So we'll see what happens. And these are in January, about two months before the Oscars. They're in March, correct? Yes. Alrighty, so what were we watching this past week? Um, let's start with the White Lotus finale, shall we? <laughs> yes, yes. So we have the season two finale of the White Lotus entitled uh, Arrivederci, <laughs> which is, of course, goodbye in, in um, Italian. <laughs> I couldn't think about it, I was about to say French, and that's not right. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> What did you think of this finale? 
I thought it was good. I thought it was, you know, it tied up. Well, you know what? I won't say it tied up anything, really. I, I think we leave the finale still with some questions unanswered, but closer to maybe a resolution or a solution of some sort. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, I, I think the only thing we really uncovered is what was going on with the gays and Tanya. That's really the only thing that I think we kind of have a true idea of, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, no, I enjoyed it. It, it. it was fun. It was, that was the big thing. It was fun. Yeah. It, the show is very fun and enjoy, right. enjoy, I enjoy watching it. I don't know if some of the hype it's given is really justified in like a prestige right, right. TV way, but it's a, it is a lot of fun. It's interesting to watch. I thought the finale may have been the funniest episode of the season just because yeah. of of the way Tanya's story sort of came down to the way it ended. Um, just that journey was hilarious. And uh, performance-wise, I thought, again, the stuff with um, the married couples was definitely interesting, um, secondary to Tanya's story. Um, so basically, um, and even Mike White talked about this in this like post-credit interview or whatever, Sort of the signs were all in motion that Tanya would come sort of like face uh unfortunate demise um on this right. trip. Um, even in the opening credits, the scenes and the art and stuff like that, it just kind of painted that this would be sort of like a beautiful tragedy. And in a way, Tanya sort of lived her life that way. Um right. So we've Tanya and both Tanya and Portia realize that they are at the center of some type of nefarious scheme being led by um, Tom Holland's character and his uh, gay friends, these gay men that uh, <laughs> Tanya befriended. Yeah. Essentially, we're led to believe that somehow Greg knew Tom in the past and that this was all orchestrated to sort of befriend Tanya, gain her trust, kill her, and then take her money because we find out that Quentin Holland's character is indeed broke and he's sort of like living off the beauty, the appearance of being rich. And his right, right. is not his nephew. He's sort of more like a... I don't know, playboy in a sense that does his bidding. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that sort of dynamic when it, I think it came out in the previous episode, the dynamic definitely changed the sense of the show um, dramatically um, from being he he funny, sort of like, oh, are we watching like an episode of Dateline, like in in action, like what's happening here, right, right. Um, but <laughs> it, we wind up getting a Portia with Jack, and I forget where they were, but she she kept saying, "You know, I had to get back to the mainland." Yada yada, and you know she lost her phone, which Jack was hiding. Like 
I definitely felt more danger for Portia just because she's young and impressionable and it felt like it definitely felt like the beginning of a Dateline episode like her yeah absolutely they're somewhere she doesn't know where they're at like he could kill her at any chance and he sent he's seemed to have a heart, a change of heart, and let her go, drop her off the airport so she could sort of, like, get out of Dodge, which I did not see that right. coming. Um, but we wish we would say the same for Tanya. Um, <laughs> she right. she wound up on that boat with Quentin and his friends. She realized what's going on, and she, she feels like she has to stall, so all day, she's trying to stall and sort of get find a way out off this yacht and you have this iconic scene <laughs> where she's talking to I guess the captain of the yacht the guy who's driving it yeah. and he doesn't speak English <laughs> so she goes do you know these gays right <laughs> she she starts pleading with him do you know these gays she tries to explain the situation and he doesn't understand but it's the panic in her voice and just the way she's articulating right. these gays like then she eventually starts saying these gays they're trying to murder me right right it was the single funniest thing of the whole season i i just i was screaming yeah, no, it was it was hilarious. It the next funniest part, and I guess it depends on how you thought of her character, is that there's so many other ways that she could have gotten off the boat, but the sound of her hitting the other boat sent me into hysterics. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. It's like dude. <laughs> yes, and Mike White said that it just seems it seemed plausible that she would go out that way because she lives her life sort of like in this sort of rich opulent dunce kind of way like yes and oblivious to like simple tasks so we see her you know as this night falls she sort of vlogs herself in the powder room in the bedroom sort of away from these men um she finds the gun that her lover has left in the bag because he arrived as well and she busts open the door and just starts shooting frantically aimlessly right and just happens to hit at least three of the yeah, four men. Yeah. Um, she faces one of them and he just sort of surrenders and runs off the boat, jumps into the ocean. So you have at least three bodies she's killed. And now yeah. she's preparing to escape the yacht. And instead of climbing down the ladder, which is what you do on when you're on a boat right. at sea. I guess her idea was to leap into the adjourning boat that was tied to the yacht. And instead, yeah. once she leaps, she accidentally falls and just hits her head into the ocean. Yeah. And even had she jumped and made it into the boat, she probably would have broken her leg or her ankle. Like, yeah, like, it is, there's no cushion. And, and another, another point, and it's what I texted you, this show is great at like making small things funny. When she is sitting at that table and she addresses the men and she's like, well, where are Hugo and the other one going to sleep? And then the other guy kind of looks at her and looks at his partner and is like, she doesn't know my name? Like what? <laughs> and, and for some reason, I was cracking up at that because you could see how just like hurt he was in his face. I was like, oh, that's funny. That's so funny. 
So it, it comes to pass that the body that Daphne found in the beginning of the first episode was that right. of Tanya's as her body has floated sort of to, towards shore. Um, and the authorities arrive and discover the other bodies on the ship. Nah, I keep saying ship. On the yacht. Um, Daphne sort of escapes unscathed. She doesn't realize that it's her boss's body that's been found. She just knows that she can't contact time. She's not answering her phone. Um, sure. Then to the other characters, um, we had Daphne and Ethan and uh, no, wrong. Harper and Ethan and Daphne and Cameron. Um, we saw that Ethan could not take the pressure of not knowing what happened between Harper and Cameron or if anything happened at all. Right. He kind of erupts hits Cameron in the ocean, almost drowns him. Um, and eventually he tells Daphne what happens. And of course, this is where we get Megan Fahey giving like a superb performance um, right. in the face, not even words, but just the way she was emoting was incredible. And we see right. her sort of, we basically are decompartmentalize this news and sort of bury it the way she's been doing in her relationship with Cameron all along. And she's like, you know, you just do what you have to do. And we see her just take Ethan to this secluded part of the island. And we just assume they had some type of interaction. Something. Yeah, I'm I'm going with, this. I think they did have sex. Because yeah. then he like comes back re- Juvenated, he's a different man, and then you know finds the attraction to, um, to Harper. Harper. Yeah, and they essentially have like I think they have like the best sex scene of the show, and yeah, that so. that scene. Yes, it seemed like Ethan finally had the chip off his shoulder. He found Harper attractive, and they seem stronger than ever. Um, and then Cameron and Daphne, you know, they're they're coexisting basically they they're, yeah. they're both doing what they need to do to survive this relationship i'm sure they love each other but their love is very conditional and very transactional yeah. which is sort of like a theme of the series um you saw the where daphne's talking to the kids on the phone and she calls cameron to say hi and he has to sort of like get into character to see these kids which allegedly may not be his we don't know if he knows right, that or not right. um yeah, it was interesting the the dynamic okay i found this on the web for the series yeah. i saw the clip where daddy is talking to the kids on the phone and i never never called the bitch i <laughs> anywho the way cameron sort of had to situate himself to see his kids it, it definitely put right. question into does he know doesn't he know it was interesting. Yeah. Then we had um, Valentina and Mia. Um, you have the pianist return from, you know, his sick bed, and Valentina fires him because she's hired Mia as the new singer. Yeah. Um, that was nice, I guess. And then um, who's left? The family, Bert. Dom and Albie, they're kind of leaving. 
all sort of like with egg on their face. Uh, yeah, he got skimmed out of fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, your dad and grandpa told you Lucia is a hoe, right. and she's proud yeah. of it, and she was scamming you like that. Man was just another hotel worker that she knew. Yeah. So, yeah, he he both he and Portia should have stuck to the rivers and lakes that they were used to and just entertained each other the whole week. Because we see them sort of reunite at the airport. Um, and then we see Lucia and Mia go off with these 50,000 Rio, 50,000 euros and just sort of like the champions of the day here in this scenario. So yeah, pretty much. It was a, it was a fun season and it's been renewed for season yeah. three. Um we'll be getting a new cast and a new location. So it'll be interesting to see what the um sort of like the topic of the series will be then. I guess the first season was racing class. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, more so. Yeah, because um what was interesting about this season is that the guests were the focal point where the crew and people that worked in the hotel were the focal point of last season so yeah okay and then this season was more about gender roles you know sexuality yeah. we'll be interested to see what the next season is about okay. all right same with HBO Max we had episode three and four of his dark materials um it's it's getting very interesting um, yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah, I thought... Is this the right? This is not the right notebook. Anywho, I thought these two episodes, story-wise, were a bit slower than the previous two. But a yeah. lot a lot is happening. Um, what, what did you think of these two episodes? Uh, I really enjoyed them. I thought episode three was a good way to kind of bring... Lyra back into the story and we see the dynamic with her and Will and they've got their problems going on and um, we get a little bit about her mother and her father but then episode four kind of kicked the door down that was like a that was a dark episode my goodness like, yes Ye this is a very heavy episode <laughs> yeah I, I agree episode three definitely reintroduces to Lyra and Will um you had was this the episode where they broke the knife or that was episode two that's episode two yeah so will breaks the knife in episode two this episode they find i can never remember the polar bear's name something with an l right no yurik uh, yurik yeah he sort of helps them rebuild the knife i mean he said the knife broke because will's mind wasn't clear and yeah. I think he was sort of like not only down himself, but thinking about his mother, his father, just sort of like the trauma he's experienced. Um, so yeah, now the knife is restored. Um, what else happened? Uh, yeah, like you said, a lot is going on. Um, yeah, there's. I think in the in the fourth episode, the big main thing is that, um, like you said, things are starting to take. Place. you kind of got two stories going on you've got miss Coulter, who um, infiltrates the magisterium again and uh yes. tries to be on their side and then her cover's blown 
and <laughs> that was an interesting story. Yeah, that's what it, like, episode three was mainly. So you had, excuse me, had Lyra and Will, and then Miss Coulter being um sort of held hostage, not held hostage, held in custody by uh Azrael and them trying to figure out could they trust her and whatnot and her fiendish information. And of course, again, her main priority is Lyra's protection. She feels that the church has to die now. Like they they need to kill these priests before right, right. they kill Lyra. So she escapes right. in Azrael's uh ship or whatever. Spaceship, yeah. Yeah. And then episode four is her returning to Magisterium um under false pretenses as if she's there to sort of serve the father president again. And you know, they quickly realize that she's not there for that and she gets caught, unfortunately. Yeah. So her her heart is in the right place. She knows that they will do anything to kill Lyra, and she's trying to do all in her power to prevent that from happening. Yeah, uh, exactly. I really enjoyed seeing her kind of work with I don't know what you call it, Azrael's spy, the little, yeah, little fly dudes or whatever. I think whatever. That's interesting. Um, but all the things, excuse me, all the things with her and Father um, Gomez Father President. and Father President were intense. Like, yeah. If it was, <laughs> That's funny if you it, say that. I'll go ahead. Because I was going to say is that whenever she talks to Father President, it looks like he's just barely holding on. Like, uh, there's yes. one part she talks about how uh how good he is or how strong he is because he like has been able to keep up his abstinence and like the whoever the guy is playing that character he is he is good at like just acting with his face because he is <laughs> the dude for a lack of better terms about the bust he yeah is. yeah he was shivering <laughs> in yes. his robe um, and that's I'm glad you brought that up because I felt sort of like this weird sexual energy when she was talking to him, and it didn't feel romantic at all. It felt disgusting, like it felt yeah, giving like Catholic priests like ugh. yeah, and because, I think it it seems very um manipulative from her point of view i think she knows he's not going to go against right the, the authority in that way killing children other things maybe but he's not going to give in to to that sinful nature and she seems to use that mm -hmm. and it makes me think she's probably they've probably been intertwined before because she right. said you know He's not father president. He's he's just calling himself that because right. um something I totally forgot that they had killed the original cardinal. Like as she right, called right, out, right. I definitely remembered. Yes, they plotted the cardinal's murder so he could come into power. I totally forgot about that. But yes, um all their scenes were excellent. Um the way I was gonna say, like if it was so before, it's it's no longer subtle, like the the perspective the show gives of the church and the way 
they control things, especially women, is very mm -hmm. interesting. Um, the, the fact they believe that Lyra is like sin personified is is, is very interesting. Um and in, in, in that same realm, like we know Miss Coulter is a danger, but I'm almost sort of leaning toward her side because Lord Azrael's all of his intentions are good. Seems like a... Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, yeah, he kind of seems like a jerk about it. Like he seems very yeah i don't know the right word just kind of gung-ho without really thinking it through yeah Azrael, his methods are becoming sort of like um minute what's the word i'm looking for I, just dangerous for for lack of a better right. term like he killed an angel like right he's he's going a bit too far and i think miss coulter realized that and that's sort of why I think she did what she did by returning to Magisterium, thinking she could infiltrate and sort of work her quote-unquote magic to get what she wanted. Right. Um, but yeah, Azrael sort of like on a a very dangerous war path to bring the authority down. Um, he killed their prisoner, yeah. and he's 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 not taking any other um, strategies or advice on how to to handle this mission so right um and then with lyra and will we find out that they are headed to the land of the dead and mm -hmm. we discover that every person has a dead because the episode was entitled yeah. um lyra and her death so every person has a death a literally embodiment of the person that when the time comes leads you to your death and mm -hmm. Lyra feels like she has to find this person and goes to the land of the dead to save Roger um that that entire sequence with her talking to the other humans waiting for their death um her death arriving her conversation with Will <clears throat> Pan being yeah it was all good yeah Pan's death defiance against this knowing that it cannot be good for them and the scene where she finally goes on the boat and leaves pan behind i just incredible work yeah it was good it's very like i said it was heavy but I, <laughs> when i was listening to it and and i don't like i said I, i'm not sure familiar with the books or anything but um I don't know. I, I liked the concept. I liked how it was explained, how there is somebody there for everyone. And then mm -hmm. you see her talk to her death, but Will can't see it. Right. And it makes sense why like all those people are walking and you thought they were like guiding themselves, but like no, their deaths are there leading them. You just can't see them because you're you're not supposed to. It's not your death. It makes total sense. And I really don't know why Lyra thought. Pan would just be able to go with her. Like, you're yeah, and I'm <laughs> Like, I'm not going to lie. I'm so tired of the Roger storyline. Like, why not just leave him dead? Yeah, because I don't know why... I know she feels some, some sort of guilt, but unless he has something to do with the greater narrative... Yeah, I thought, exactly. I thought that's how he would be included, but if it's just her feeling sorry that 
she she left him to be killed it's not working yeah no, it's not working. but i guess we saw in, in the trailer teasers what's his face come back comes back as well um Lemon while Miranda's character, who is also in the lane. Oh, yeah. So I guess that's how somehow that's connected, but I just wish the Roger part was more synced to the greater narrative. Cause I think it's interesting yeah. that, but her reason to go there, I have to agree with Will. It's not very strong. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't know. But we'll see. Yeah, it was a very dark and sad episode. Um, just so their their conversation with the, I don't know what you call him, the man that guides them to the land of death, like him adamantly saying he cannot come. No one's ever done it before. People have brought me, stabbed, all the, you can't come. <laughs> you can't come. So yeah, we get episodes five and six uh, this week. Um, and then something totally different. Uh, I caught the documentary Call Me Miss Cleo, um, okay. which centered on um, the infamous um, psychic friend network character, Miss Cleo, who was big in the late 90s, early 2000s, the infomercials where you could call me now and all that stuff to get your fortune. Yeah. Um, it sort of explored her origin. Um, explored how she came into that that persona. Um, what happened with the company and why she vanished? I I really didn't remember anything about um why those stops. Um, but it turned out you know the company was scamming these vulnerable people who were calling in not for their fortunes to be read, but they were more calling for advice, some of them for very serious issues, like where they should have been calling, you know, a therapist or reaching out to like mental health resources. I believe one person said that a woman called and she was on the line so long that the the call cost her a hundred dollars. Like because she was needing help. And um, you know, eventually the company went under because they were sued by the attorney general and everything. Um, and of course, they were making all the money. Miss Cleo did not see a dime of that stuff. They used her likeness and everything, but she was paid, what, like $1,000 for the first infomercial. And I think that was it. Wow. I mean, and sort of went on to what happened post that in her life. Um, and as we all know, shockingly, she passed away, um, I think back in 2011. Uh, she was only 51, uh, 53. She had died of, oh, my bad. It was 2016 when she passed. Um, oh, okay. But she died of cancer. And um, her, you know, her life after that was very idyllic. She wound up in uh, sort of like uh, the Florida area. Um. And she sort of enjoyed the rest of her life, but it's interesting how she got to where she was because it, it sort of goes back to no one really knows her her history. 
Um, she had different aliases. Um, she she told people that she was, you know, a Caribbean or Jamaican since uh people, at least black people, <laughs> told her, no girl. Yeah. That's a lie. But um allegedly she grew up in a very traumatic household. Um, she was, I think, one the one lone daughter of like seven brothers and they were all sort of like adopted because their mother didn't want to take care of them or something to the fact and she grew up in a very harsh environment to where she didn't talk about it much I think there was a lot of abuse um, that she experienced and I think the Cleo persona she sort of embraced that to sort of bury that other stuff she didn't want to talk about so it was, it was very sad in a way um yeah so yeah definitely check it out it's only an hour and like 30 minutes long but it, it was a good watch definitely learned a lot a lot about her as a person which we did not know we didn't know exactly who she was and for for many there's still that mystery there um but she seemed like a very uh nice person for for what it's worth uh, and then over at Hulu, I started Kindred. This is the adaptation of Octavia E. Butler's a novel about a um, young Black woman writer who finds herself being pulled back into time to a plantation um, where she finds her mother. And originally this was written in the 70s, so she she'd be pulled back to like 1776 or something like that. They set it in yeah. 2016 now. So um, she's pulled back to this plantation and somehow it's connected to a young boy named Rufus. Every time she's pulled back, it's to sort of save this little white boy from like a life-threatening situation. And she yeah. sort of investigates the mystery, why she's connected here and why her mother is there as well. Um, it's interesting so far. I think I read the book in high school, so it's been a while since I've read the original text. I know there are drastic changes in the show. I'm just not sure which those are. They focus on different characters in the show. Um, but it's it's decent so far. It's a bit boring as they set up some of the character and storyline and some of the focus on some of the white characters takes me out because it's like I don't care about this character why yeah. it so much shine but I think that's one of the changes um I thought it was a limited series but I guess they're looking to get renewed so the first season's only eight episodes um so I'm gonna see where it goes but it's it's interesting so far Um, and then for other, um, I watched the Clean Lady season two finale. It was two hours long. Very interesting. The show is very good. Um, <laughs> uh, basically, the concept is a young Im immigrant woman who's here illegally, works as a clean lady in Las Vegas. She witnesses a murder by the mob. And instead of them killing her, she offers to sort of clean up the crime for them. And then she's sort of in bed with them. 
at the same time, um, in the Philippines, she was a physician and her young son uh, needs a transplant. So she sort of uses her her ties to the mob to sort of like get medicine and things for her son and the stories evolve from there. So it's, it's very interesting. Good performances by the lead actress. Um, so comes on Fox. And I think it's been renewed for a third season. It definitely does a good job at um, dissecting like the immigrant story in America and how it's treated still very poorly. And for something totally different, we got the first look at Gerda Gerwig's uh, Barbie <laughs> starring uh, Margot Robbie and um, what's his face? Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Um, the I'm ready for this. Yeah, the teaser was really good. I think the use or the spoof on the 2001 um, Space, Space Odyssey, Odyssey yeah. <laughs> was really smart. Um, saying like, you know, for for thousands of years, girls just had baby dolls to play with, but then the Barbie was born and so like changed everything. <laughs> right. So basically the movie's about, you know, life in the world of Barbie. Um series also stars. Oh, not the series. The movie also stars um, Issa Rae, Sumu Liu, uh, Shuti Gatwa's in this trailer as well. Um, so yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. And I think the set sometime next year, I want to say... It's like in July, I think. July 23rd or July 13th or something like that. Yeah. It looks really fun. Um, additional casts uh, Greta, Will Ferrell, Michael Sarah. So yeah, the cast is stacked. I just don't know what the... I guess it's just like Barbie's life? I guess, but that's good enough. I don't think anybody really wants a story about Barbie dealing with like social justice issues. They just want to see, right. <laughs> see Barbie be Barbie. So the logline says, after being expelled from Barbie land for being a less than perfect looking doll, Barbie sets off for the human world to find true happiness. Interesting. Yeah. It may have just seemed like a very small portion yeah, yeah. of of the movie. Yeah, that should be interesting. Margot stays with a role. Like she does. And she's a good actress. Mm-hmm. Stays working. And for pick six, um, I think his Dark Materials might be my top watch for this past week. Yeah, I would say the second episode, episode four, was was very good. Very different for the show as a whole. So, yeah, I think that'd be my top pick as well. Yeah, because honestly, we've never seen Miss Coulter sort of bettered by anybody else. Like, yeah. she's usually wiggles or weasel her way out of situations but there she she kind of kind of undone and what you be streaming for the weekend <clears throat> um honestly i don't have too much i'm kind of tired of watching television so um i'll probably just 
chill and catch up on old stuff before I think about getting anything new. That's what I really need to do. Gotcha. I feel you. Um, <laughs> I, w I don't know if I want to watch Wednesday. I've heard good things about it, but then again, I don't know if I care. Right, right. It may be something I come back to later next year. I don't know. There's just other stuff I'd rather watch, I yeah, think. Yeah. Um, and same with Firefly Lane. Like, I know this is the second season, but it's not at the top of my to-do list now. Um, I do want to start The Old Man on Hulu. And then yeah. Disney Plus has a series called Casino that's coming out, I believe, this Wednesday. It's a South Korean show and basically about a man who, yeah, is not good at the casino. So, um, <laughs> Logline, the legendary king of the casino in the Philippines confronts unfortunate events. After getting tangled in the murder case, he is now faced with the ultimate bet with his life on the line. So, yeah. I'm here for all the shows in South Korea. It's gonna, it, it's giving me, like, kind of squid game with a twist of, um, it was just on the tip of my tongue, Tokyo Vice, kind of, sort of, so yeah, I'm definitely gonna check that out. Um that drops on Wednesday on Disney Plus. So yeah, um that's all I'll be streaming for this week. And we thank you for listening to another episode of It's Streamable Life with Brandon and Lauren. Um next week I think we'll be coming with our end of year list, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Crazy that 2022 is almost over, but um, we'll come with those and then we'll see you in the new year. So until then, keep on streaming. Peace.